Hey, what's up, everyone? This is the Heart Guy Media Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse AHS, and we just wrapped the John Carpenter Anthology tour date, his last tour date, in Syracuse, New York at the Palace Theater. And we have uh, one Sean Henderson, we have one Chris Clausen, and we are at, and we have one Jonathan Patrick Angle here uh, to kind of give a little review, talk carp, and uh, our experiences as as we had, uh, you know, a VIP package purchase, and we had a meet and greet purchases. So uh, we're just going to discuss, but we'll dive right into it, guys. What is everyone's overall feeling after seeing the uh, John Carpenter live experience? I thought it was amazing. Me personally, yeah, just... I, I think he puts on a hell of a show for his age and smokeability. <laughs> <laughs> He didn't smell like cigarette smoke when we met him. I was shocked. So no, maybe he went to breezed those garbage. Maybe, maybe he went to the vape and he's got a popcorn lung now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it could be, but man, was he! Uh... But yeah, no, it was definitely a once in a lifetime experience. Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy that he's sixty nine now. He's gonna be seventy. Motherfucker stood the whole time. Played, I think, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen songs, and. Uh, yeah, even get a little dance, a little groove going in his old fucking blood. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would too if I fucking looked back behind me and I saw old Adrian Barbeau from back in the day and known that I friggin' just, mmm, fucking just <laughs> let loose. Old carp. I love that he's rocking the ponytail, even like he just doesn't fucking care. Snow fucking white. Why didn't the fucking snow outside in Syracuse right now? Fucking rocking the ponytail. But what's everyone, did anybody have a favorite track that he played tonight? Well, I can tell you one that I wasn't expecting um, was Body Bags. Oh, yeah. Whoops. Uh, I cheated and looked at the set list prior because I was like, I got to see what this motherfucker's pulling out. So I knew he was pulling out Body Bags, and I was fucking stoked. That was definitely a highlight. In the Mouth of Madness, Mm -hmm. I think, is the best, like, his the newer rendition of it is the best rendition of any of the newer songs. I love it because I've been listening to the album. Uh, and it's just fucking great. And Daniel Davies, obviously playing lead guitar, just fucking smoked it. The whole band playing super tight, and it just and you don't have lyrics and vocals to kind of go by, so you don't have vocal melodies as cues. So you kind of are going off complete groove and feel, and it's as solid as I've heard any band. Yeah, that was uh, uh probably the thought the fog is uh yeah that's one of my favorite scores by him, and that was just amazing. Same with the thing, even though that was Ennio Morricone. Yeah. Yeah. But that was just. What about you, Angle? What was your highlighted track for tonight that he played? Um, it's tough. He's got so many good ones. Um, Chris and I were talking about it earlier. Assault on Precinct Thirteen. Yeah, it's just got it's just so catchy, and it just like it makes you want to be in that precinct playing yeah. the the gang outside. Yeah, you're Sean, stuck in your head. And you're okay with it. Yeah. Sean, what do you think was your standout track for the night? Yeah, I'm going to steal Angle's answer is uh, Assault on Precinct 13. And Body Bags was fucking phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, Christine, I liked that he ended the show with the Christine main theme. Uh, I like how sick. he also added a little dialogue in between. Yeah. You know? yeah. It, it, I don't care if it was scripted. You can't expect him at his age to re- fucking remember what he wanted to say <laughs> yeah, in so. the moment. So it's, it's literally verbatim being read off a sheet. And I recall that exactly verbatim from <laughs> a year and a half ago when I saw him. It was... 
the, the dialogue was word for word, but it, it, it's cool. He's like, be careful driving home tonight. Christine's on the road. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, yeah. Oh, another Big Trouble in Little China. That yeah, like that was great. Oh, that too. was great. And that actually reminded me of how few times I've seen that film. Really? Yeah, it's... And it also, the the whole experience reminded me of how just how many awesome films he's done. Exactly. It, it's crazy. Yeah, that's what... Hearing each song, which almost feel They sound performed better than the movie, when you're watching the movie, but it just reminds you of, like, your love for his movies. And yeah, like, it definitely just reminds you. And, I, and having the... The visual of each movie too behind it is just yeah, adds yeah. the extra spice to it, and it, it is a full show, you know. Lights, you know, you have the visuals, and the band just plays like so fucking kick ass. And his son Cody Carpenter, you know, uh, behind the the other keyboard, uh, yeah. synthing his balls off, <laughs> fucking just sounds everything just sounds so great. Uh, but what so? Well, let's talk because we we met him. So, what are your thoughts on actually, you know, meeting him? He obviously they had a lot of people there that did the meet and greet, so it kind of goes pretty fast. So, uh, but I mean, he just seemed like you know he was happy to be there. He he didn't seem like he was uh, annoyed at all, which is always nice, especially with someone as his age that is sitting there and he's signing and you know over and over and over again so the fact that and i feel like the for the package that you get you know 200 225 you pay the extra 25 to be in the center rows or you know the 200 on the outside so you get the you know the vip experience and you get a swag bag a swag bag and you get two items signed signed halloween poster uh, yep a signed uh poster exclusive to the i believe to the this, this tour, experience right? yeah. to the to the tour um a t-shirt uh thing shirt a cool a tote bag like, tote bag yeah um, and uh you get your laminate your meet and greet laminate that has deck is awesome. decorated yeah. and has all the little uh hieroglyphics from his fucking movie <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh yeah it uh it's definitely of your own sign and a picture yeah. which is worth is worth it all day yeah, it's worth yeah. it all fucking day like without a doubt i don't think if you meet carpenter at a convention now it's been several years but the last time i saw him I'm, I'm not so certain you could even take a photo with him at his table anyway i'm pretty sure you had to purchase the um, photo op separate the professional yeah, yeah. photo op so if you're going to add that up just the two autos in a professional photo op probably would have cost more than the whole you know or pretty pretty similar to the whole experience plus being an amazing show like that yeah know? yeah to boot that's worth uh two hundred dollars all day um and everybody else should take a, a lesson from him like when you get yeah that, don't gouge your fucking two hundred dollars yeah don't fucking charge me a hundred dollars for your <laughs> shitty autograph then in, in a fucking th- you know a three second uh interaction do you think john if carpenter, we call someone out and be like listen are you a fan of john carpenter the next time we're meeting someone we think's overpriced and just say are you a fan of john carpenter yeah i love john carpenter he's a legend well it's funny because compared to you i got a fucking a legend and you're mm-hmm. nothing happening i got a fucking shirt three <laughs> autographs a fucking picture a handshake and i didn't even smell the cigarette smoke on him and i gotta smell fucking ari lehman's fucking hot sauce and leather fucking jacket trying to sell me first jason hot sauce for, for fucking 50 bucks yeah looking like hey, no, looking like a fucking vaude villain walking through fucking scaricon and fucking 
looking like he's fucking Captain Hook. He's about ready to fucking make motherfuckers walk the plank. Well, guess what, motherfucker? Your ass walked the fucking plank when you popped up in the movie for fucking six seconds, and that was your only fucking claim to glory, running around writing first Jason on fucking machetes. Motherfucker, you didn't even use a machete. You're a glorified fucking swamp thing. You're not even fucking first Jason my dick. Well... Yeah, and it, it just definitely puts things in perspective how much we paid and the value we got. And he performed. He started probably about 7.30. He was done about 8.45, so he performed for over an hour. Um, and it's just it's just an amazing value for, for that amount of money, for sure. Oh, yeah. Because a lot of these shows you go... What do you think of meeting him, though? The price is fucking 40 or 50 <clears throat> yeah, bucks just yeah, to yeah. get in. Yeah, what do yeah. you think meeting him? Like, because I... Like, he's obviously, he is arguably one of the biggest celebrities, quote-unquote, that I've met. And I didn't have any kind of, like, nervousness or anything yeah. meeting him. Not that I fucking had any nervousness meeting fucking these nothing happenings that I... I struggled to come to terms with giving them $20 to sign their name on a fucking fuzzy 8x10 that they printed out at fucking Rite Aid. Uh, but... No, I think, uh, for me, he, uh... He was pretty welcoming. He seemed like a, a nice guy. You know, I, I, I had met him before, um, but that seemed like a, a much more of a rushed experience here. It was okay. sort of, um, he, he pulled the chair close, so there wasn't, you know, a fucking, uh, uh, the size of Titanic between you and him, <laughs> like in these other photos we're, <laughs> we're looking at on his website, where it's like, <laughs> you're not, homie, you're not even in the same photo. It's like, <laughs> yeah. here's Carp, and the other person's like three people away so he actually pulled the chair in and seemed pretty gracious and uh, i had fucking raiden number four take my picture with john Ang- john angle with uh robert england and he's like okay i'm gonna take the picture in three two okay let me get the tip of my cock in the picture and maybe we can fucking distinguish that i got a picture with fucking freddy cougar dick face you fucking idiot like uh, that was the fucking worst. Like, and and props to Robert England at least giving the fucking like claw hand gesture for people. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm leading over this goddamn fucking uh, Dudley Boys fucking wooden table <laughs> trying to get a fucking picture in. And I'm fucking going blind because Ming Chen's got the fucking goddamn the the fucking flash on. <laughs> well, yeah, and and I don't know what you guys thought, but. Having gone to other conventions and waited in line, I thought that that was they, the palace. Props to them for um, how seamless, how smooth the whole process yeah, yeah. worked. Um, you know, for having a picture taken with him and having a couple items signed, it, it, it was pretty, um, pretty smooth. Yeah, he had his shit together. The palace had their shit together. Everything, everyone was firing on all cylinders. It was a very smooth process. Now. Let's dive in. Now that we've kind of talked a little bit about the experience and everything of seeing it and stuff, uh, I will say he was also appropriately priced on all of his merchandise. I didn't think anything was overpriced either. He wasn't price gouging, uh, which is always nice. He, you know, it's so funny too. And maybe it goes back to him being, you know, in the themes that they live. You know what I mean? Where, you know, he yeah. obviously is touching upon the evils of the world and money, you know, and then consumerism. consumerism. So I, maybe that goes into another amazing song. Yeah. But you know, goes into, maybe that goes into it too, that he was so modestly priced for everything, including the meet and greet and everything. You put was, on the they live glasses. Yeah. That was pretty pretty cool. Cool. That was the whole band, the whole band, you know, yeah. put the glasses on when they started that track. It clearly wasn't a, a cash grab which was nice. no no you see that he has a passion yeah even after all these years and you know 
he composed some of this shit like in the 70s and here we are in 2007 the end of 2017 the guy's probably played it a million times this is the last stop on his tour he didn't phone it in he was up there fucking dancing let me let me let's go back to new jersey horror con a couple months ago john how much did you let's put this into perspective now sean aston he's in stranger things too he's fucking uh he's been in goonies he's been in fucking lord of the rings Rings, fucking rudy like he's a a legit you know i i guess an a-list i mean in in some aspect he's a a solid b c lister yeah but but listen carrie green she was in fucking lucas Covering up for Charlie Sheen, and <laughs> and fucking Goonies, and I've never and Summer Rental, and that was it. That was it yeah. And how much was she? Was she fifty? She was fifty. Okay, now you're fifty, Carrie Green. John Carpenter's two hundred. You get three fucking signatures. You can fucking you can borderline molest the motherfucker, <laughs> and you get to see his live performance. I think there's a a cash discrepancy because I don't think Carpenter is going to go out there and lose money. So one, he's obviously fucking making money, even giving away a T-shirt, a poster, a fucking making laminates, uh, you know, and a ticket to the show. So how much are we up fucking upcharging? Well, you know, yeah. Ted Raimi walking around charging fucking thirty bucks. Ted Raimi, you ain't never done nothing but <laughs> leech off your fucking brother. Well, another thing I think it. Uh, John Carpenter has a pretty strong library, so he's making money just sitting around. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's so that's true. I think he's like you said, he's just out because he he loves music. I think he wanted to pursue music first before. Yeah, movies. he. Well, I think he said that too. That he uh, initially he wanted to be in a band yeah, before yeah. he became a music director. Yeah, a music director, a movie director. <laughs> I mean, so he's money. He's probably not doing this to get by or anything like. No, that. no, he's, he's doing it for a true passion. Absolutely, and yeah. he's getting. A fat paycheck every time they remake his films. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Or you know, like in the case of Halloween, every time there's like, oh, now it's the fucking thirty fifth edition. Now it's yeah, the fortieth yeah, edition. Yeah. But you got to think like too. Back, he's like, all right, send him, <laughs> send him over, boy. Even if he even if he gets a seven dollar check from fucking USA. Wait, USA probably doesn't even air fucking anything anymore. But every time <laughs> they, they yeah, of course, <laughs> WWE. Oh, is it? Uh, but every time they air something of his too, like. You know, it's on or whatever, and the Scream Factory movies, he's got to get a fucking taste of that. Right. Either way. And uh, you know, all the royalties for, like, every time somebody buys a Michael Myers mask, I'm, I'm assuming he's, exactly. you know, I don't, I, I'm assuming he's getting some cut of that. So, yeah. Regardless, Car- he Car- could cash grab, but he doesn't because yeah. he's, he's got a fucking. He's got a, that he could never spend. But he also has a fucking conscience because there's plenty of fucking. Like, Sean Aston, what the fuck Sean Aston need that money for? For yeah. what? Motherfucker hearing a dog whistle. Fucking, is there a dog whistle? <laughs> no, motherfucker, there isn't a dog whistle. Sign the fucking Frodo 8 by 10 Samwise Gamgee, get it right, Jesse. Who the fuck cares? <laughs> but but no, I think it definitely it definitely puts it in perspective, man. You know, just sitting there for a little over an hour, and the reality is that wasn't even those weren't even all the films he's done. Yeah. The guy's fucking done way yeah. more than that, even that than he than it was played. When you think of Dark Star and you think of someone's watching me and you think of Elvis, the Elvis Presley movie he did with Kurt Russell. The TV movie, yeah. It's yeah. just like it, Memoirs of an Invisible Man with uh, Chevy Chase. Chase. Awesome movie. It's just like yeah. the guy's done so much shit. Cigarette Burns, which is you know a maybe he may have uh, the most solid 
film. Mm. I think he does. He I, might I have. You're probably debating between him and Craven in your mind, but I, I think if you broke it down, he's he's got a more extensive filmography. But with that said, he also worked in the studio system, so yeah, he's exactly he had that money. I think it was Rolling Stone who did like an article on him. They said like in the eighties, the only person that come close to Spielberg and really sound quality stuff was John Carpenter. Yeah, I mean, look at everything he's done at like absolutely. One you got to think though; those movies didn't do great though. At Not the same time, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, the thing bombed. Or even initially, yeah, the you know, thing like bombed. the thing bombed and Halloween bombed, which are now I probably revered as two of his. Well, ha- Halloween didn't bomb. That was the most. Highest grossing in the Oh, it didn't. Move. It didn't. Initially, bomb. It, it was critically panned. Is, it, it, yeah, is, yeah, it, yeah, is, yeah. So it, it it did well financially, but right. it was it was sort of shit on, and then gradually. Well, think about like they live. How much appreciation there is for they live now, all these years later, especially because it just resonates so well with how fucked up the world is. Uh, that one resonates more now than it ever has. Yeah, it's like embedded in our culture without even. Really I mean, there's a fucking problem. company called Obey that has, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. clear ripoffs from that movie. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, it's not a fucking coincidence. It's not great minds think alike. It's great minds fucking steal great fucking ideas. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> but what's, uh, let's, uh, let's go around the table here. Favorite Carpenter movie. Top three favorite Carpenter movies. Oh, you might have to skip me. This one's too hard. I mean, John? When you like them all, how the hell are you? Right. Yeah. Um, I think the fog would definitely be in my top three, um, which is it's, it's it's ironic because I know Carpenter's not big on it himself. Really? He's really critical of it. Yeah, he's he's shit on it a little bit. Um, but that that movie's phenomenal. Um, I really love the thing, and um, you know, one that um the wild card i'm gonna say is someone's watching me which he made yeah. it was interesting made, choice it was a made for tv movie and i just rewatched it and it really is phenomenal and that it kind of right reminds after me halloween right it was right before halloween right before halloween no it was right before halloween because i watched a um i watched they had a little special feature on it um on the dvd and um he did all in one year he said it was the busiest year of his entire filmmaking career he did someone's watching me then he did Halloween. Then he did Elvis. All in 1978. So you got what? The Fog. Someone's watching me. And he, what? And I'd say the thing. And the thing. You, you know. Sean. I really don't want to say Halloween, so I'm gonna keep the one out. Uh, I'm gonna do the Fog, the Thing, and then uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Nice. Yeah, that's an interesting nice. choice too. The you don't see that every day in people's. The Thing style. for me is probably. Elvis is probably number one. I, I feel like I could bounce back right, every five yeah. minutes between because I love all his movies. The Thing, Escape from New York. Yeah. Um. I don't know. Mix it up. Like another movie that's not talked about is Starman. I think that's a great. Movie. Starman is Amazing. fucking awesome, and Dark like, Star is great too. Dark Star is definitely out there. But yeah, Starman is. Uh, because Dark Star is like parody almost. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. 2001. Like yeah. With him and Dan O'Bannon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which was his college roommate. Yeah. Kind and of then weird. O'Bannon has gone on and done Alien. tons of sci fi. Well, he's gone on and died, but yes. <laughs> well, he's <laughs> on, yeah, he's gone on and he's dead. But, um, but prior to that, um, you know, he he wrote uh, Life Force, which Toby Hooper directed. And, you know, he did Alien and um, Return of the Living Dead and 
he's done. He did a lot of great shit. Yeah, I think the reason why I said Starman is it is like there are similarities like connecting with those other movies, but it is very different. Yeah, like yeah, different overall most, themes. You know, yeah. um, different from his other films. Kind of like you know, Craven had Music of the Heart or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sort of. This like, was more his biggest departure. Yeah, yeah, it was more more accessible as far away from horror. You know, well, it is sci-fi. It is a little sci-fi, but it's, it's more so. Different. Yeah, it was yeah. sort of his answer to ET, like a yeah, different, basically. like a, a different variation, an adult alien. version of ET. Yeah, and yeah. it's not, but he's not, you know, your stereotypical alien. He's I've, a different type of. I've never seen Starman. It's a great film. You gotta check it yeah. out. It's a really so good my film. top three, number three, Prince of Darkness. Love it. Underrated. Fucking <clears> think it's great. Amazing it. effects. Getting hyped up for the show yeah. this morning. We were yeah. watching it. Uh, and then two, they live. Uh, I mean, obviously, a huge wrestling fan. Rowdy Piper being in it just fucking puts it over the top. Um, a guy who was only in like a couple, a few films that I'm aware of, yeah. and was fucking amazing. Could have, could have just stopped wrestling and just done films. For yeah, he easily could have been in like the next big action. Yeah, yeah if he had all intents and purposes of being an actor, but I think. I think he kind of got like a little irritated with how the system worked for you know. For that, he probably kept his fucking SAG card, like, and fucking got all the perks of of being a SAG member. But, um, and then number one is definitely the thing. I think it's his best work. I think it's his most composed. Um, I mean, and not to leave Halloween off, just to leave Halloween off. Halloween's Halloween. It go, kind of goes without saying. Yeah. You know, we've discussed this. And that's and, the only reason we all didn't include it. It's just because it's sort of you know, it's the like, obvious it's choice. Like, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's every. You don't yeah. even need to talk about. It. We know, it is what it is. Yeah, know? it's a legendary film. It's. it's it's uh, I will put the Halloween franchise the weakest of all the horror franchises. Thoughts. <laughs> uh, it's probably my favorite of the. I mean, I love, favorite. I love them all, but I. Wow, even uh, Resurrection. Huh? Yeah, you get, there's always a one odd one, you know. That don't talk about. Well, come on, five was kind of shit too, though. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Curse wasn't great. Or which franchise doesn't have a sh- shit though? You know what I mean? Leprechaun. <laughs> all right, there you go. When you can instill two gangster-related rep- leprechaun <laughs> installments into your leprechaun franchise. It was Resurrection. What? Resurrection. Fucking Buster uh, Rhymes. Yeah. Buster Rhymes. Well, Trick or Treat. H2O. LL Cool J. But that oh, was yeah. Yeah. H2O was so successful. We're going off on a completely yeah, different yeah. direction. <laughs> but H2O was so successful, I think they were trying to... Uh, uh, duplicate that and like oh let's introduce another rapper in here and it was yeah. like fucking failure yeah you know? uh too bad that that failed because old dirty bastard would have been in the next <laughs> yeah <one>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh what what is it with rappers showing up in horror movies I don't know. It was like the fucking wasn't Red Man in fucking Seed <laughs> of Chucky? Yeah. Like what the oh, fuck? Was that was like a thing for a, a stretch there. It seemed like that the late nineties, uh, early two thousands, they were fucking introducing rappers. Can and... we see Fifty Cent in a fucking? Was he in Happy Death Day? Maybe. <laughs> no, I don't know. I'll oh, yeah, to find out. No, uh, he's been in a lot of like 
movies that no one has seen. Like, What's his name? Like, Curtis? Yeah. Curtis, Curtis Vitamin Water Scent. <laughs> I know that he's on a TV show that people love right now, but that's about it. I mean, I know. I see him on covers of movies. I'm like, yeah. when does this come out? But back to Carpenter, John. Yeah. yeah. So we're talking about derailed. Derailed. Yeah. Yeah. has gone on, and, 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 and we've disgraced Carpenter's name by bringing in 50 Cent. And his anthology tour. Yeah. <laughs> so... What is, I mean, when you think about Carpenter's legacy now, you know, and he's continuing it. He's fucking putting out vinyl records and doing yeah. new renditions of his themes that he's created. Even new stuff. And newer theme, lost themes and things like that. He's had several releases now. He's gotten into the fucking vinyl game. You know, he's paying homage to all of his other films with, you know, releases and variants of the vinyls, and he's touring on this now. His legacy continues at fucking 69 years old. The guy ain't slowing down. If anything, he's doing more now than he did in the last 15 years. Yeah, bro. And the only thing he's done in the last 15 years is collect fucking residual checks from Rob Zombie's Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, no. No, there's the war. The war. The war. The war. The war. Yeah. He, he did that. a couple yeah. Master of Horror episodes, and yeah, then he did the war. And it, it's gotta be I think the w- I think him. the war was killed by Amber Heard. Fucker. I thought she was all right in that. I don't. I, mean, I don't. I don't dislike that movie, but the ending was very uncarpenteresque. It was very cliche, and it it it, it wasn't his best effort. But it's got to be hard um, to to make original content. Okay, I got. And and like he said, it's changed. The industry's changed so dramatically since when he was making his his most successful films to now. It's just a different. Now, think about the last movies that the big four have made. You talk Carpenter, The Ward, his last big movie, right? Craven, Scream 4. Which I Craven, yeah. was it Scream 4? Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was Scream 4, was right? Scream 4. Romero, Survival of the Dead. Romero, Survival of the Dead. Hooper, it had... Did- I don't think Jim, anyone right? really Jim. saw that. Yeah, yeah, that never really got Which had, his last, there was like, a bunch of. five movies, I guarantee most, even Hooper fans, haven't seen. Yeah. There was like Toolbox Murder. Well, there's a lot. Great yeah. Mortuary, but there was a few other. From what I've heard, when what I heard, I listened to the Mick Garris uh, podcast, and he said that there was a lot of shit because he filmed it over in another country and yeah he there was a lot of fucking controversy where there, he was th- yeah he was threatened if they he put out the the gin the gin whatever it is uh you know there was he had a cut of it and he was gonna i don't know it's a bunch of drama listen to the mcgarris podcast where they pay tribute to toby hooper with bill mosley and carolyn williams it's a it's a good one and they talk a little bit about that um but the wards probably of those other films the, week. probably the weakest yeah because survival of the dead i i love it but you can you can pump out a couple weak ones though when you talk like uh his filmography like we said it's so solid it doesn't i don't think it tarnishes it having you know when you've made semi stinker one amazing um film every decade since the 70s fucking amazing film during the 70s an amazing film during the 80s an amazing film during the 90s if you count you know i think in the mouth of madness is yeah, fucking yeah. awesome yeah. and then even in the 2000s because i think like cigarette 2006 was cigarette burns yeah well, that's not a like feature film that's only like an hour long yeah. but still if they made that still, into a yeah. feature film awesome it was fucking amazing yeah. it really was they really should have made that into a feature film because that movie was fucking yeah it was body crazy. bags is up there for me too i always i grew up watching that I grew up loving it i always loved it i love Very anthologies yeah. yeah definitely fucking underrated what what segments did carp directed that and anyone know 
because I know Hooper obviously direct they they collaborated on it, but I don't yeah. know which segments Hooper directed and which ones Carp directed. I can't remember. I think I know who didn't Hooper do the hair one. I thought Carp did that one. Carp did the hair one. What the hair one? The hair, hair one. Uh, the. With Stacey Keach. Oh, the hair one. Yeah, I thought the hair, the hair on. The heroin. I'm like, I don't remember one about heroin. I thought that was like a fun <laughs> anthology. Oh, I was we were gonna say like his career is over. He is kind of getting like a resurgence. What if this is like inspiring a kind of like, hey, maybe I can make another movie? Because you could tell with the war, he just wasn't passionate about it. I feel like he just did it. Just he wasn't to feeling it. Do it. Yeah, it would be awesome if Carp would, you That'd know, give amazing. it one last go, man. Um, I mean, he's like 69, I mean... Is that what he is, 69? It's going to be 70 in January. Scorsese's in his mid-70s. I think, um, you know, everyone hates on him, but I think, you know, maybe for some valid reasons, but Roman Polanski, I think, won when he created The Pianist and won, like, Best Director yeah, in Academy Award. He was fucking, yeah. like, in his 70s. Well, we were talking about this earlier. You talk about James Karen and fucking... Um, Clue Gulliger. Clue Gulliger. Motherfuckers are in their late 80s, early 90s. So it's plausible. Fucking that, Woody Allen makes a movie every year. And yeah. he's in it well in his 80s. You're talking about the, by the grace of God. Yeah. Fucking Carp could be around for another fucking 20 years. Well, the way he looks right there. Yeah, he know. doesn't look... He, I've seen photos of him recently and he looked, oh my God, this guy's... He looks dead. But, like, in person, he looks a lot better than the No, Yeah, he, to me, he just kind of looks like the corpse from fucking uh, Body Bags. It's like, it's like, that actually looks like him yeah. now. Pretty it much. wasn't, like, um, horror makeup. It was just, like, aging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, no, a hell of a show. Really, really, um, really impressive. And, you know, like I said, props to the palace and After Dark and whoever was responsible for for getting him here that's that's who huge. is responsible for that after dark i guess Who's uh, that, like, their promotion company where well, like a booking company up in upstate like they they run uh an office in syracuse and an office in uh buffalo so they'll book stuff in the town ballroom and things like that stuff out buffalo mm-hmm. way and then they book stuff in syracuse which they, they have like a syracuse contacts yeah. like office so that's why you know you'll get things and because the, Syracuse has a, a small scene for it, you know, obviously having the Hatchet, Adam Green coming through a few times with his Hatchet movies. Uh, you know, they just did the Freddy Fest b- back here a month and a half ago. Uh, they've always done Horror Fest back here that we've went to for years. The Palace has always screened. Uh, you know, you got guys like uh, Jeff Mayer who's, you know, done like different, f- like little film uh, pop-ups here. A couple double features here exactly, and there. like so there's definitely, you know, they knew, I think, whoever had with the contacts in Syracuse immediately knew that there was a, a place for it. Because like we were saying, all the cities, all the stops on this were, you know, Vegas and Boston and Chicago <clears throat> and Detroit and Detroit, Philly and, and New York and, Toronto and, and Montreal. And, yeah, yeah. And the only two that were small, I think, were like Maplewood, Indiana and Syracuse, which was the last date on the tour today. So... Uh, it's kind of cool that it was the last day on the tour as well, and minus know, being sold out of the Dark Star variant of the fucking vinyl. Um, but again, <laughs> fighting over colors like a fucking six. Definitely thankful for those guys. You think about all the cool shit we've right. seen. Absolutely. Yeah, so, yeah, like, for what, sure. After Dark and who Jeff Mayer putting shit together. Yeah. We've seen so yeah. much cool shit. So yeah, for sure. Those guys. 
It's kind yeah. of surreal when you stop and think about it that literally in our backyard, right down the street, you know, one of the greatest film directors of all time was, you know, we were just, yeah. we were just like literally went right down the street and he was there, you know, playing the, you know, the music he composed Most for his scores. Right? I've yeah. been grocery shopping in a grocery store, and the Halloween theme will play. Yeah, and it's just pretty. Yeah, I mean, it's like, a, that's probably the most iconic horror score of all time, bar none. Yeah, uh, I don't even think you got to say horror score. I mean, just score. score general, it's, it's, you know? it, yeah, that Halloween score is definitely up there as far as <clears> you know, right there with me with Jaws. Yeah, you know, there's a few that are just. Like you said, you don't even have to be a horror fan, and you recognize his yeah. music. So, um, yeah, and it's to me, it was just it, it was it was it was awesome to I, get that opportunity. Yeah, I think you could put him in like maybe maybe top ten, top fifteen music composers of all time. Oh yeah, not just director, composer. I'm talking like you John think Williams. About, I don't even say right. John Williams, but you you could put him. John Williams, Ennio Morricone, Bernard Herman, all oh, those abso- guys. Absolutely, you could, and you know what I think is. On that note, too, what's so impressive about Carpenter is he's a true auteur because a lot of these films, he fucking wrote them, then directed them, yeah. and was scoring them. Yep. It's like he literally did everything. And was in some of his early stuff, he's editing it. Yeah. Again, that goes back to it being a passionate, like, and someone who cares about the product isn't just always doing it for the paycheck. I mean, obviously, everyone's gotten exemptions, uh, but, you know... You don't fucking you don't say I'll take on writing the score for this movie too. Like I'm sure he wasn't like, well, I need more fucking money if I'm writing the <laughs> score. He did it because he wanted it to serve the movie and for his vision to come to life on you know his own terms. So you know, props to him for. They were making Halloween. They didn't think they were making it. No, it was not. It was you know, it was nothing. It was you know, and to to think what it has now and. You know, he, the guy must fucking pinch himself when he fucking crawls back on that fucking bus. I don't know how at 69 he's fucking crawling on the fucking bus and just like, <laughs> yeah, we'll go to the next city. And, uh, yeah, like, and, it, it's and I'll crazy. Tell you what, he's something else, too. Like, when you look into some of Carpenter's uh, filmography, he said that after Assault on Precinct 13, how he was, you know, for those few years there, how he was making a living was just writing and selling screenplays. And that's how he came to direct Someone's Watching Me is because I think it was NBC, I believe he said. Um, he, he had put it in the contract that he'd get the first option to direct it. Like, yeah. they would consider him. They would interview yeah. him for the position. So he wrote it, and then they said, okay, yeah, we'll go with you to direct it because you have some experience, Assault on Precinct 13, Dark Star. So he directs that. But when you look into it, there's some <clears throat> other films that I have. I was like what the hell? I'm watching it and it's like written by John Carpenter. So there's shit that really great movies in my opinion that some people aren't even aware of and John Carpenter wrote those like freaking um, yeah. The Eyes of Laura Mars which was sort of like a really sophisticated slasher with Brad Dourif was in it and Carpenter wrote that and then this movie with Tommy Lee Jones uh, called Black Moon Rising which is like this really awesome action flick. Carpenter wrote that. So the guy's just so well-rounded it's just the music and the writing and the directing it's just he's on top of all that too you know his guy born in bowling green kentucky no he was born in carthage new york York. oh he was yeah he was raised in bowling green but i think that that's why he probably came here to be honest with you i think that's probably why new york upstate new york ended up being a, a stop on his i think part he did, of it. where did i don't know that's right he was born in carthage he, i know he went to college no he went to college at usc i think 
He did, yeah. But uh, I think he went. his dad got a job at University <laughs> of Kentucky or some shit like that, if I recall. And yeah. they moved down when he was, like, in high school or some yeah. shit. But I'll tell you what. Being able to freaking have a kid with Adrian Barbeau. He saw those Barbos up close and personal. <laughs> I'm fucking lime green jelly, baby. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. Was plowing Adrian Barbeau. What, what, what more? Plowing her, plowing her like the fucking snowbanks out fucking here. <laughs> Seriously. She was salting her fucking down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's not much more you can really say about it. It's just fucking Some heat. people have it all. Yeah. <laughs> Garbage fucking killing it, man. Um, yeah. But any uh, final thoughts on, you know, the legacy of John Carpenter? When you think about the legacy of John Carpenter, we'll go around what what you think his legacy is. Because a lot of people say, well, his legacy is Halloween. I think it's much more than that. Oh, yeah. For I mean, sure. Um, Obviously, I think, like, the structure of his screenplay is, like, how they're, like, they feel almost claustrophobic, but there's a lot. I don't know. It's hard to describe, like. I've been rewatching his movies lately. Yeah, then. definitely had a different sense of writing than I think anybody. I think there's a depth to his stuff where, like, there's, you discover new stuff. There's upon depth, TV but links. it's also like it, it feels claustrophobic in a way. His movies, like, I don't know. Yeah, I've been rewatching them, and that's like kind of the feeling. I've been Do you think like a sense of like impendingness at all times when yeah. you think of like you know? There's always just. <clears throat> I mean, look at Assault on Precinct Thirteen, and look at like Halloween. They like. It's like you're house. trapped, right? Yeah, it, 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 there's a feeling of the being thing. trapped. And in the mouth right. of madness, he's trapped in that. You know, they end. they yeah. live. You know, they're everywhere. They're tra- you know? And they're yeah. trapped, and they live. They're well, I mean, they, and, they're and, they're in a bigger environment, but they're trapped. Exactly. And the yeah. thing, they're there's, trapped they're in the outpost. Them. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean. Surrounded by the elements. Yeah. No, that's for sure. It's like uh, being being in an isolated location, away from help, and you've just got you not know, even all the time. I mean, like we were talking about the thing, like. You're just trapped, you know what I mean? It's like, you don't even have to be in, like, Antarctica. You could be in downtown L.A. and yeah. still be... So what's his legacy to you? Just a... That's hard to put into words, I mean... Yeah. He, he he says himself, I, I listened to an interview where he said, like, yeah, over in Europe, you know, like, I'm a fucking god. Here in the States, I'm a bum. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. like... And that's how he... I, I think he's probably one of the most underappreciated directors absolutely because chances are high that everybody has seen at least one of his films and they might not even know it you know what i mean because he just he's exactly well how many people when you think halloween a lot of people think michael myers i don't i think john carpenter yeah i mean hell even if you don't if you even if you have never seen that movie you know the music Exactly. Or you know the face. Yeah. yeah. And to me, there's just so many great films where we were going through his filmography earlier. I know you said you were rewatching some, but it's like, oh shit, I forgot about that one. Yeah. You know, it's like yeah. even Christine. It's like, it's fucking classic. I love that That's film. Great. But yeah. then at the end, he's like, Christine's on there. I'm like, oh shit, I forgot he hasn't played that one yet. But <laughs> yeah. like, what a fucking testament to your capabilities where you've got so many great films that people can't even remember them all. I mean, it's like, yeah. oh, I forgot about yeah. that one. It's like, how many people can really say that? That they're like, oh, I fucking forgot about that one and this one and the other one. Like, that's how good he is, you know? Yeah. What about you, Sean? What do you think? Uh, what's when, you, you know, someone will say John Carpenter to you in 20 years, what are you going to think? He's a goddamn legend. 
That he is. You know what's funny though, going back to the people not watching the movie, there's that one guy sitting next to me, he was like, oh, I haven't seen like half of his fucking filmography. Well, yeah, I, I overheard that conversation and I was like, oh my God, Sean, get away from this guy. Because he's like, well, I've seen the Halloween films. Well, that doesn't count, homie, because other than the first three, he had nothing to do with them. Yeah. And then he's like, I haven't even seen They Live, but that looks pretty interesting. It's like, how'd you get into this concert, motherfucker? <laughs> Go back to fucking FYU where you belong. But I think more than most, I mean, and you could really say it for Toby and Wes and, and George you know, one, he's the fucking, he's the last fucking cowboy left. And yeah. and that's what he really is. I think that's what he's, if I could throw a couple words out there to describe him, it'd be real. He's definitely a cowboy, like in the film industry. He's always been. And he's always just talent, consistent talent all the time. Whether he's making, he's composing scores or he's making movies, he's writing, he's directing, he's doing whatever. And he's doing and it his he's way, he's not really concerned with Passionate, constantly doing it. At 69, you're not doing it to make money at 69, especially with you know the amount of money he's probably been able to accumulate. he's got nothing accumulate. to prove. You know what I mean? Nothing left to prove, yeah, not in, especially in the horror community. But the fact that you know he recognizes and pays tribute to even the movies that got shit on and didn't get appreciated and he didn't make money off from like he, he was playing the score from village of the damned like, yeah to be realistic how many people like when we're talking carpenter nobody ever fucking talks about village of the damned yeah I'm pretty sure right. least favorite right. movie people would say like, yeah, yeah people don't really talk a lot about vampires i feel like all yeah. that it's, I, a, it's great a great film film. great film i completely film. forgot about vampire yeah until so you started Gr- playing that i'm like oh shit yeah you did make that vampires is great i fucking have... but that gives you an idea again it's like shit a great film yeah but it's, but he's, it's probably one of my least watched of his but it has nothing yeah. it's just like there's so many good ones it's like it's yeah you want to go back and rewatch it because like so that's definitely yeah it's watch of his it's great and you know he it's something to be said too underappreciated for sure but just being consistent constantly as far as <clears throat> quality and you know even if something isn't like it isn't a fucking you know it isn't poltergeist or it isn't the exorcist you know something fucking that blew the box office open and that's universally loved like a halloween he still had these movies that obviously there's enough fan base where a whole room erupts when he kicks on big trouble in little china or when he kicks on you know fucking body bags or he kicks on Starman, and the crowd fucking erupts because there are fans out there of this stuff um but you know he's got to come to these events he has to structure these tours and and the con convention uh go you know you know people go to these conventions to get that kind of appreciation because you're not gonna fucking he's not gonna walk into fucking fye you know or you know he's not if he walked into best buy and they're like they hung a big sign that said john carpenter signing that today now let's be honest Best Buy has a dwindled fucking movie section. Their their horror section was fucking pathetic this year. They're getting worse and worse. I understand people are buying less, but all of us still buy fucking movies. I know for a fact we're keeping Soundgarden fucking <laughs> blood pumping in that fucking place. So the fact that, you know, he could sit down, they could hang a huge banner and say just John Carpenter, not mention Halloween, not mention anything, just say John Carpenter. And he probably wouldn't get a lot of people signing down there. Now, if any mm-hmm. of us found out John Carpenter was just signing for free down at fucking Best Buy. We'd show up with like... Get yeah. fucking backpacks full of posters <laughs> and Blu-rays and DVDs and records and all sorts yeah. of shit. Because we all, we all had this conversation earlier. We're like fucking debating which 
John Carpenter items to have signed at the show. But you that I mean? goes to that proves the point that you know he does appreciate the fans because he knows that when you go to where you go, you go to where your fan base is, how much love and appreciation, and admiration, and respect they have for his art. And I think that's he paid that respect by having reasonably pr- priced meet and greets, honestly, and not just gouging his fans, especially when it comes to. Uh, his merch and things like that. Those things, when you see the prices on those things, it goes a long way. And even when you spend some money at like someone's, you know, merchandise table, whether it be a band or it be, you know, a director or a celebrity or whatever, you can tell a lot by the way they're priced. And you could say, you can say up and down all the time, well, you know, well, it costs a lot to do this. It costs a lot to do that. Well, guess what? If you really respect your fan base and you're grateful for what they get, guess what? You'll make fucking eight dollars on it instead of nine. You'll lower it down a little bit. You know what I mean? Um, and or at least have it, you know, a decent margin where you're making something. I don't know things like that. I always you can gauge somebody's sincerity sincerity by their prices. Yeah. In in a sense, I mean, you really can. Like, I mean, I'm sorry, but. You're talking some fucking half-ass nobodies fucking charging 30, 40 bucks. Dario Argeno, when I met him, is a fucking, is a worldwide film legend. I mean, granted, he's a little more obscure, but, I mean, he's charging 30, and you got fucking... Walking Dead Walker episode 217. (laughs) Yeah. Background Walker extra (laughs) for charging 35. Yeah. Or like, even, you know, uh, but it says a lot, I think, uh, and he, his, uh, his... They're humble, some of these what guys, he, I feel like, yeah. They, what he put into it, as far as the concert experience and everything, I think it shows his passion, his respect for the fans. So, that's what I take away from tonight. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm grateful that he, he gives us this level of access, because nobody else is. You know what I mean? No, like, especially at his fucking age. Like, I could see him doing this 20 years ago, but... I just can't believe that I just saw that. Like, yeah. being a fan yeah, for so uh, many years, I if you were to, when I first like really started loving his movies, if you were to say, "Hey, you're gonna see him," one, you're gonna meet him. All right, maybe I'll get lucky. Right. Two, you're gonna see him live. I'm like, no fucking way. It's pretty. It's intense yeah, to say we. Palace Theater, man. Yeah, yeah. Stepped up big time, and and Cuse has been getting a lot of big events for a city that's. We've always, not as we've always been getting a lot of. We always had cool shit like that, but I think this one is... Tops it. Yeah. It's up there. It really is. we're not done yet we will have eric scott tyler here shortly uh he ended up catching the philadelphia date the night before we caught the syracuse date which was the last date on the tour um so it's gonna be uh it's gonna be cool to get his uh take on it um again you heard uh chris and and john myself and sean talk about how great that that experience was to actually just dive in and 
and uh, dive into it, you know, kind of breaking it down how we felt about it and everything. So it's uh, it's going to be uh, cool to get Eric's take because we unfortunately weren't with Eric when it happened. Um, but yeah, we're Eric's on the line now. Hey, how are you? What's going on, brother? Not much. How you doing? Pretty good, man. Uh, so we've obviously been uh, we've been meaning to discuss with each other your thoughts on uh, and and you know share my thoughts with you as well about uh, John Carpenter's anthology tour, which you caught the Philadelphia date and we caught the Syracuse date, and I was just uh, what's your you know what break it down what you think what you thought of the night what you thought of uh you know kind of experiencing you know John Carpenter live cuz it's obviously it's it's uh, enigmatic to even catch a direct one a director that writes his own scores let alone you know right. goes out and performs them all these years later at 69 years old yeah honestly it was like uh it was definitely a bucket list thing for me personally just being such a fan of his of his uh, work just like you of course and, and every, everyone we know pretty much uh it was interesting it's it's a, well uh, it's amazing to see everything come to life you know what i mean because you you obviously know that he had these ideas for these songs he put these songs on his uh in his films and then to see that you know translate to the stage and him actually with a physical band playing the stuff right in front of you is it was amazing you know and the band really was phenomenal yeah you know what like i didn't really know what to expect i saw obviously i've seen videos and everything like that but you don't really don't know until it's right in front of you um and yeah like the band everybody was on point john was on it was uh, like he was hilarious i thought you know and, and he seems pretty spry for his age up there uh and uh, he really nailed it. Like, we always talk about some of these uh, bands that we see, like some of the older bands who still got it at their older age, and you listen to them, and they're, and they're still killing it, and everything sounds so precise and so great. And I feel the same way about Carpenter. He just nailed he nailed every track, you know? Yeah, and it, it's such a... Because these are film scores that he originally wrote, it, it's such a cool element to have the visual of each film there, too. And it was just... You know, he put a. You could tell he put a lot of work into making sure the show, one felt right. The set list like meshed well. Like he, he really is, for all intents and purposes, as much of a musician as he is a film director. Oh, without a doubt, I think if you know him and you know his work, you. I think you put those two right equal like uh, together. I think the movies wouldn't be the same without his uh, scores. You know what I mean? No, and, uh, it, it it almost played a pivotal. Uh, role just you know having that know it you, and you know when you hear a score written by him you knew it was by him he just has a signature stamp for all those films for all the films that he's you know done the scores for he just has a stamp exactly and you know and you hear a lot of his work uh, you know obviously influenced a lot of people now like I don't know how many times I hear like I see him watching a new horror movie or anything or or like on Stranger Things, I was just thinking about this yesterday. I'm watching Stranger Things, and I'm thinking, man, this sounds just like like a John Carpenter track. You know what I mean? And there's and there's it, no it debating really helps that. Set the mood. Yeah, there's no debating that his influence on like, and you got to think to it. You're talking early '80s. He was doing like the synthy scores that appeared in all these horror, mainly horror films. 
it, right. and you know in action films he was doing it before it was even like a thing so it's so funny to to think that like he kind of may have even had a had a part in really that becoming like uh a staple with uh you know 80s culture and you know having scores and themes for movies have that synthy sound yeah I feel, but my opinion is like he, i feel like he made it um not that scores weren't important but i feel like he really put a big emphasis on that and i think maybe that helped that i think that i mean that influenced a lot of other people to do the same thing because it's not like he's just putting other musicians or like bands like tracks on his uh in his movies he's like really thinking about the placement of of everything with it when it comes to the song so like i i i feel like he he felt that the music was just as important as anything as like uh, the dialogue or how the actor or how the actor is doing. I feel like the music, the scores was just as important. So. Yeah. Now, uh, did you know that that guitarist, um, Daniel Davies, the lead guitarist, he had been, he's been in like a bunch of different bands. And most recently, the, the, the reason when I heard his name, it rang a bell with me was because when Darren Miller left CKY, Daniel Davies took over for him for a few months and was the singer and, uh, guitar like uh, guitarist for CKY for for a sh- really short period of time. I think between like maybe 2015 and going into 16. Uh, yeah, you know what? I didn't. I really didn't. I didn't know anything about the band really, and I, and I hadn't really looked up uh, or like even looked who they were to be honest with you. Sadly, but that is pretty awesome that he uh, that you know someone in his band is in another band that that we like. You know what I mean? Or or is played with? Yeah. And, uh, cause he had, he's been in like, he was in this band like Year Long Disaster, and, uh, he's also the son of Dave Davies, who was in The Kinks, I, I later read on that, that was. Well, that's interesting, yeah, I didn't, I did not know that, so. Now, did you know that Carpenter's son was the other synth player, synth slash piano player? Uh, I think. He, I think I knew, like, he mentioned, uh, he mentioned something like that, or I knew that, but I didn't know, like, the whole band and stuff like that, but that, yeah, that's cool that he includes him. Yeah, it's, uh, that's his kid with Adrian Barbeau. Huh. Well, that's cool. That must be awesome to be, for him, too, to be up there playing all that stuff with his father. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, I mean, I think it get, probably gets a little weird for him when people start fucking doing the drunk woos when Adrian Barbeau comes on screen. <laughs> And he's just like, yeah, yeah, that's my mom. Uh, that's another thing I wanted to touch on is uh, how he included, you know, obviously scenes from the from the films too as well. I feel like that that was just a really cool other aspect of the show. Um, obviously, most people who are at the show have seen the movies, I hope, but it was just cool to have that extra effect to go along with it. Yeah, oh, for sure. Now... Um, and then, like, when they... You know, when during like the day live stuff, when they all put on the shades, I thought that was like just a really cool touch. Just little things like that was really cool. Yeah, yeah, things like that always make the show. No matter what kind of music you're watching live, when the when people are the musicians are invested in the show and they're putting they're putting on a show and they're not just going up there and playing it. And I think that's what a lot of people maybe <clears throat> even expected because he isn't known for being a musician even though he obviously is a musician but it not being a live musician i think people thought he was just going to go up there they're going to play the themes and that was kind of going to be it right exactly i uh like i said i didn't know what to expect myself either from uh 
privacy have never seen uh, anyone I don't think just play uh, their film scores so but it was, it was definitely awesome and uh, I hope to God that I can uh, that he, he keeps doing it and we can see him again you know yeah I know and have you listened to the the, all the newer renditions that he's recorded of all the movie themes, the anthology uh, album that he put out? Yeah, like, uh, so I, I downloaded it on my uh, Apple Music there, and I've been giving it a listen. Everything sounds uh, sounds awesome. Yeah, like the new, just hearing stuff fresh, you know? Yeah, yeah. Old. It was always a cool thing, so. Now, I got to talk to you about his films a little bit, obviously, uh being a huge role obviously in in our our liking of so many of his films but uh, what besides like you know like uh i guess i could ask you what's your what was the first carpenter movie you ever remember seeing was it halloween you know i think um honestly it probably was halloween uh, that's like the first one i can remember just like because i just remember like I just remember, I can remember one time going to a movie theater. There was an old movie theater in United New York. I'm sure you remember that one movie theater, right? Uh, uh, not Glenwood, Glenwood Movie Theater, but it was the other one. It was the, over by there. the Ames Plaza, right? Correct, yeah. I remember going there when I was really young, and I saw, I don't think it was a poster. I think it was like a VHS copy of, of Halloween. And uh, it just really intrigued me, the cover. So from that, obviously, I, I, uh, I the first chance I got, I, I saw that. So that's probably the first one I've ever seen uh, of his work. Now, uh, if, if, you had to, if you had to rank your top three Carpenter films, oof. What, would you, what would be in your top three? It's so hard for me, but because I go back and forth literally like all the time. So, so today, what's, what's your top three today? I have to, I mean, I, I gotta go, I know it's just, it's so easy, but I feel like I just have to go number one, I'd have to go, I have to go Halloween. Um, I just, you know, that movie's just so iconic, obviously, it's like one of my favorite horror movies, the first one I've ever seen of his work. Um, the second, it's, oh, it's always so hard, like I said, I love him so much. Number two would probably be The Thing, and uh, number three... Would have to oh, see the third one is always the, the toughest one for me, but I, I gotta say, big, big trouble in Little China probably. That movie's just so fun, and I just I love everything about that. Yeah, that that's such a unique movie, and like you can't. It's is it a comedy? Is it an action? Is it a sci-fi? You know, it's so it's hard to even pinpoint that movie. It's such a, an eclectic mix of all kind of all kinds of genres. Uh, but that's exactly yeah. It's uh, I just think him with him with Kurt, just uh, those two obviously are magic on the on the screen. So. Oh, for sure. How about you? How about what would you be? What would be your top three? Now, the first part of this we recorded, I want to say it was the right after the show on Sunday. So I, I gave a top three in there, but I can't even remember what I said for my top three, but. <laughs> This is this was my top three were definitely the thing. Uh, I think it was yeah, it was the thing. They live and Prince of Darkness. Yes, yeah, I mean, and uh, that's a great top three, and I think those. I just like I almost want to make a list with just without Halloween in it. You know what I mean? So I, it just like kind of stands on its own. 
problem. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think we even said that, too. I think when uh, we were going around the table to, to list the top threes, uh, we uh, we said, you know, Halloween kind of stands on its own. Um, I can't even think if I if that was my top fucking three. Because, like you said, there's so many, like, if you you name three and then you're like, well, this one's so good too. How do you consider this one not in the top three? It's so hard. Exactly. And he and John had kind of said this too, like, uh, you know, out of the big fours film careers, I think uh, Carpenter may have the most solid filmography as far as quality of pictures. And I think I I do think West is probably on par up there too. Um, with just like right. constant like I don't but then again you say that and you're like how many really bad movies did George have really like there's always Vanilla that's probably about it yeah I think I guess if you're thinking about that too like you're thinking I think maybe Carpenter had I don't know like Carpenter seemed to have a lot of commercial success you know like those he yeah, worked he, with a lot he, of big names yeah, but he, I mean he, if you think about that too Craven worked with some huge names as well too and his later movies like were all like huge, you know, younger Hollywood stars. So. Yeah, and I think more so, uh, Carpenter and Craven definitely worked more in the studio system than uh, than Hooper and Romero did. Yeah, definitely. I think those guys had more of like a renegade type of, uh, approach and more independent. And, and George talked about that right up until his death about how he, you know, beefing with the the big uh, studio companies. So yeah. And we had kind of, I talked to, to John about this on the Wes Craven episode that we had just uh, put out, too. Uh, how we talked about how Wes, not to talk about Wes on a John Carpenter episode, but um, how, how Wes Craven kind of, he was, he was, had people in his films before they became names. When you think about D. Wallace in The Hills Have Eyes and, like... Yeah, that's true. And, you know, Sharon Stone and Deadly Friend and, like, you know, he was kind of at the forefront of it may, possibly even discovering some of these people before they be, went on to become names. Yeah, that is true. I, I guess I didn't really think about that. Like, some of his earlier work does have some pretty big uh, names in it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and you got, like, Ray Wise, obviously, and, like, Swamp Thing. Like, he was really working <laughs> with people before they were even, well, you know, well-known for the things they became well-known for. Yeah, and I feel like Wes is kind of, again, not to keep talking about Wes, but, like, just with, like, the emergence of the Scream movie kind of just put him on, like, another level, too, like, uh, of that time frame. And he was just, like I said, everything he put, he kept putting out was just kind of, like, young, like, up-and-coming Hollywood actors, and I feel like uh, he could do no wrong. And almost, even... Uh, almost, like, not like he was, uh, you know, like, not like his career was dying, but almost like a second wind. Know what I mean? Of just like back to the top. Yeah, it's almost like when uh, you know, you talk like uh, I, I almost like I almost relate Wes's career to like a Kobe Bryant's, where you know he had a success in the early days, and then he comes back in two thousand nine and ten, I believe it was, and go and they have back to back, uh, they have back to back championships that that exactly yeah so like a res i mean exactly like a resurgence of his career and even that movie alone i felt like was like right before that was a weird time for horror and i just i mean the scream arguably 
brought back like the slasher and i wouldn't say it created a genre but man how many movies came out after that, that oh were, like, jesus it was it was a slew of everything <laughs> like the same thing but just, just like something like teen like slasher movie uh and that's what it was all about at that time so oh there are so many you talk like I, I mean obviously williamson writing i know what you did last summer but then you got like more obscure ones like valentine cherry falls like there was exactly, just yeah. fucking so many like, yeah urban legend and stuff like that so uh yeah i think that says a lot about uh, about his career too that he can he stayed relevant for pretty much obviously all the way up until his death so and there's no really debating that they are the big four of you know horror filmmaking it's definitely carpenter craven Hooper and Romero. I agree. I, yeah, I mean, without a doubt, those guys are the are the are the top. And it's another thing, like, and we talk about like how we when we discuss movies, it's always tough to discuss when we do lists. Like, who's your favorite? And it's the same thing with those guys. Like, I go back and forth on who you know. Do I lo- I love Romero the most, or do I love Carpenter, or Craven, or Hooper? You know what I mean? It's 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 too tough because they're all geniuses, and uh, you don't see stuff like that anymore. I mean, do you think you'll ever see a director? do a tour of his scores from all of his like famous movies you're probably never going to see that again well you don't even see directors taking on more than one role right exactly so i think it's i think it's a lot of things i think it's when those guys were around i mean things were a lot different than they are now when it comes to like filmmaking and uh having the say and being able to step up and say hey i'm gonna make this movie i'm gonna do the music you know i'm gonna pick who's in it i mean prop you know I'm sure that a lot of these new directors don't have the, the say that Carpenter or Craven or those guys had, you know? And, and to be completely honest with you, too, you see these, uh, you know, the next crop of what would be the bigger directors in the horror genre. And, you know, I'm not going to name names, but you obviously hear people complaining that they aren't getting, you know, they aren't making money, they aren't getting the recognition that they deserve, things like that, and the bottom line is, they are just, as far as the filmmaking aspect goes, they're nowhere on the level of, of, like, anywhere near what the big four does, or, 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 or for the simple fact of, you know, guys that aren't as, you know, they some of these newer guys aren't even as good as say like a Mick Garris or like a, a Lucky McGee. Like they're they just aren't on that level, and then they complain that they're not making money when it's kind of evident why you're not. Like I mean, you're worried about what your movie's gonna make and worried about people stealing them. And yeah, it's a different time, but you know you kind of I feel like you didn't see Wes and Carp Wes Craven and. And Carpenter and Hooper and George really outwardly complained to their fans that they weren't making money. They just kept making it when a you know bruiser like that was a fucking like a nothing movie. Like George made it, and guess what? He was making movies after that. Like he doesn't like complain about it. He doesn't talk about you know. They, I feel like we live in a, a different time now, obviously. But I mean, it, it, there's just never gonna be what we had with those big four directors and especially now that there's you know within the last year we've had two of them die uh and carpenter's the last uh, the last of it you know what i mean and the fact that he's yeah, as alive I mean, now as he ever was he's out freaking touring in a freaking bus <laughs> yeah like I, that's another thing we touched on is uh you know he played the the trocadero theater here in, in philly on the 18th and then he played uh syracuse the very next day so 
it's pretty impressive to be doing that stuff every day at his age. You know, long shows. It's not like he's out there for 15 minutes. So. No, he was out there over an hour, right? Yeah. Um, question for you is, what was? Uh, did you have like a favorite uh, track that he played at, at the Syracuse show? Well, because I've been listening to the anthology record that he put out because I love, like, all the newer renditions of it because they still sound classic, like, vintage 80s, but they have, like, that new swagger on them. And I think um, In the Mouth of Madness was fucking awesome. Yeah. Um, But I think him closing the, closing the show with uh, Christine was was awesome that is such a great uh score too and it was just uh it was it was awesome it really was yeah i agree yeah you know what i'm actually curious i wonder if he played multiple if he played the same sets on, uh, I, I, I think on he may have shows so i'm gonna i'm actually looking that up right now because he definitely closed uh, the philly show with uh with the christine stuff so and he closed the like the first kind of set before the encore within the mouth of madness. So yeah, um, it looks like uh, yeah, it looks like the encores were exactly the same. Uh, but it looks like he yeah, it looks like the set was pretty much the same. Yeah, at least from what I'm gathering. Yeah. But that's still cool. I mean, obviously you don't maybe the everything flows together pretty well. So. My favorite, like, one of my favorite things was just to hear, obviously, was, like, the Pork Chop Express, the Good Trouble in Little China stuff. Oh, yeah. Just because it's fun. <laughs> but, yeah, and then, obviously, hearing, you know, the Halloween theme, which I was surprised. I figured he would, like, close with that just because of, like, obviously, the familiarity that everyone has with that. But I thought it was cool that he didn't. Yeah, yeah, that was definitely that a nice nice touch. When, I, when you heard that, like, three-fourths into the set, you're like, oh, shit, what's he closing with then? Yeah, exactly. You were intrigued to know. So I, th- I thought it was, uh, yeah, like I said, bucket list stuff. And hopefully he keeps doing it for a long time. I hope so, man. And uh, I-, I know something funny that I wanted to talk about, too. It was probably like two or two or three years ago I came down when you were living in Maryland. And I, and I came down to visit you. And we were watching the the Robert Rodriguez like director's chair episode with John Carpenter. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you could just see, like... You could just see, like, a little bit of, like, smoke in the air in some scenes where you could tell he just, like, had to put the cigarette out and shit. Exactly. He had a, he had a phenomenal look in that uh, episode. I think he was dressing all black, and then he had, like, the the bright white, like, random Nikes on that look like they're from, like, 84. <laughs> and he, I think he it looked like he smoked about 100 cigarettes in that episode. Oh, I have no doubt that Robert Rodriguez probably fucking aged 17 years in that fucking two <laughs> hours there in the room. That's another thing that's insane, you know, not to talk more of it, but, I mean, the guy's obviously probably been smoking for, like, and not, you know, conservatively smoking, like, really just hitting the old sticks really hard for many years, so... Uh, I I wonder who who was more of a heavy smoker. Was it Carp or was it George? George, yeah, I don't know. That'd be interesting to. Uh, I'm See, sure they shared a couple of cigarettes together at least one one point. I hope so. Now, they, uh, you know, what's funny is uh, Carpenter obviously has never done like the convention circuit. Really, I know he's popped up here and there, but you know, it's so funny that George would literally have to take cigarette breaks. <laughs> when he was yeah. signing, 
Harper like, would have to go outside, maybe. Yeah. Set up his table outside. They might just have to drill, put him against the uh, like a glass and just drill a, a head <laughs> hole in the side so he could pop his head out just to fucking smoke. Right now, I don't know if you touched on this earlier in the in the podcast, uh, but how was meeting him? Was the like how was he? Um, they as far as like how they had it set up, it was obviously going pretty quick because dude, they had a lot of people there that were going to. Right. They were going to meet him and uh and it it was uh it was uh pretty uh it's pretty surreal, I guess. Uh but it's it's another thing too where it was like it was meant to happen just because literally the day before that that got announced, my friggin' credit line on my credit card went up. So it was just like <laughs> it was just like the gods of uh the gods yeah. of horror like the horror sm- gods are like he's got to meet him. Yeah. So otherwise I mean I don't really have uh, a couple hundred bucks always sitting around to just fucking be like, "Yeah, oh, yeah, fuck this bill. I'll just fucking meet John Carpenter." Exactly. Yeah. No, I was pumped that you got to meet him and you guys got to meet him because uh I obviously didn't but uh I know the picture you posted of the two of you was absolutely hilarious. You yeah. guys look like uh <laughs> Like a father and son, you're both wearing the same glasses. Yeah. It's like, you have the same exact expression on your face. Yeah. It, it was hilarious. Well, I, I that was that was planned. I'm going to let you know because I saw all these pictures. And some of them, and, and it was, uh, so, <laughs> so the line's pretty long. And we're like, we're like f- three and four. Like number three and four in line. Like me and John and then Clawson was behind us. And, uh, like, Jeremy and Christy were in front of us, and then there was, like, two other people or whatever. But, so, it was funny because I'd seen these pictures where Carp just had, like, this fucking face where, like, he looked like he was, uh, Richard Mauer, uh, Mauser in the, you know, the fucking dog guy in, uh, in, in, in the thing. That's the face he had on. Um, and... <laughs> And, uh, so I knew he had that face. He wasn't fucking smiling for anybody. Um, so I sat down knowing I was going to do the carpenter face with him. Uh, but he was, uh, he was quiet, like for the most part, but he was, uh, he was gracious when he did talk because I just walked up to him. I shook his hand. He's like, you know, he's just like, Hey man. And I was just like, Hey, uh, nice to meet you, John. He goes, man, nice to meet you. And then, yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, I had uh, I had a little uh, a poster signed by him, and he he goes uh, he goes yeah he goes he goes oh wow this is cool, and I go yeah it was from a double feature that was here. It was a they live um, a they live Prince of Darkness like mashup, um, and uh, and I was like yeah it was from a double feature they did here. He's like man that's cool, and that's pretty much it. <laughs> I wonder how many people he had he sat down and uh, met throughout this whole tour i wonder if uh it had to be thousands and thousands of people so yeah you gotta think i mean there was at least dude there was at least 75 people that he had met um i will say though for 200 dollars, it was worth every penny right um, i mean because it seems like he, they put together a pretty good package for it so. yeah yeah you know they give you like a little swag bag it came with a one of the like a, a poster that was already signed and I guess every city got a different poster and he got like a he gave you like a thing shirt and then it says John Carpenter Anthology on the back and you know you got your like laminate and it has like little like you know little things from each movie on the laminate 
and it was definitely, and you get your picture with him, and you get you can get items of your own signed. So it was definitely worth. You got to think the guy would li- at least charge eighty dollars if Matthew Lillard's out there fucking signing Shaggy, <laughs> Shaggy eight by tens, and fucking, and you got John Engel demanding fucking twenty seven uh, selfies with him. Uh, <laughs> there's no way that Carp was charging a dollar under fucking eighty dollars. So yeah, I'm sure if he did do uh, conventions, he'd probably be in that range, if not higher, even. Yeah, so it was definitely worth it. It was a great, uh, it was a great little experience for sure. But honestly, it the show, watching, actually being able to watch it just seems surreal to hear him play like you know the Halloween theme and like the fog theme. That was like that was definitely like that's what it was all about for sure. Yeah, definitely. And I think if he does keep going, I can imagine him maybe doing some more original stuff and maybe touring on that. Yeah, I would love that. I and think like, that would be like great. do like a mixture maybe of like uh, of uh, like the movie scores and like maybe some original content too. That'd be cool. I mean, I mean, God willing, the fucker could stay alive for a, a lot longer, considering that like you know you got guys like James Cameron or James Cameron, uh, James Karen from Return of the Living Dead and Clue Golger. Like, who are in their early, late 80s, early 90s. Carp could be kicking around here another fucking 20 years if, yeah. if, fucking, well, if all, all goes right. Fingers crossed on that one. We'll see. Um, maybe he can do a tour with Goblin. I'd fucking... That, I, was, I was thinking about <laughs> Goblin, actually, when, we, when you said... Uh, that you know, you know, you don't get to really see like these music scores performed. The first thing I thought was Goblin for sure because yeah, I know they, they did a little touring for a little while. Well, yeah, they actually played he on in Philly on Halloween night. Oh, here, yeah, that's but, right. Uh, fortunately, could not go. I so, think uh, I think Mike Tyson contacted BT to see if he wanted to go for a meet and greet because I know they're <laughs> I know they're big Goblin marks. Oh my god, that's great. Uh. But yeah, man. Any, what are your final thoughts? What do you think? What's your, uh, what's your, what do you think your uh, the legacy of John Carpenter is in your eyes? When you think, when someone, you know, in in twenty years, when someone says John Carpenter, what's what are you gonna really think? Are you gonna think, you know, do you, what, if someone had to just you had to describe John Carpenter in you know twenty thirty years when someone says that name, you know, what what's it mean? What does his name? What does his legacy mean to you? Uh, to me personally, I just one of uh, when I think of originality in movies and music, uh, I just think he want, he takes what he's done with all of his movies, the way he builds suspense with the music, and just um, kind of like his take on things. Like obviously, Halloween can be looked at as a classic, just slasher movie, but I feel like there's just so much more to it, and the way he uses suspense and and his music and his sound effects to um, to build a scene instead of using maybe like some of the other people using just like outrageous gore or like crazy crazy blood and stuff like that. Um, like I said, I just think he's definitely one of the four kings of, of horror, and uh, and I think he started a whole movement in my eyes with uh, with movie scores and, and setting tones that way. So, and my like I said, he's gonna, he's gonna go down to me as one of my personal heroes and one of uh, the best film directors of all time yeah without a doubt and you know a true artist in every sense of the word uh for sure so and like i said uh hopefully he does uh he keeps doing his thing maybe another movie someday too would be nice yeah uh 
considering we the last thing we got was the ward. So the maybe- ward. <laughs> Uh, yeah, some people hate it. I don't know, obviously, we both own it, I think, and, uh, you know, it's John Carpenter. If it wasn't John Carpenter, would we own it? Who knows, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right, man, uh, thanks for, uh, thanks for talking carp. I know, I know we had, uh, we had to touch base definitely on this, and, because I wanted to definitely get your thoughts on it, because, uh. You know, it's always interesting to hear what all you guys are gonna say and and what you know we're gonna talk about because it's always. I mean, the the whole podcast is all about you know our core group of friends kind of discussing things and you know when when we do get in all in the same room, uh, hopefully you know it ends in uh, fisticuffs. Yeah, right. Uh, I can't wait to hear uh, the first part of the podcast that I didn't, I wasn't a part of, and. Uh, Hopefully the next, you know, we can do another cast soon together with, with all of us together. Yeah, uh, I'd uh, love that one. I, I think a Christmas one's definitely got to happen when you're up here for the holidays. Oh, without a doubt, it's a must. It's definitely going to happen. We so. might have to do a Christmas vacation and just talk about the whole movie and maybe even do a live commentary. Oh, that sounds literally like one of the funnest things ever. <laughs> So we'll definitely do that, man. So let's uh, let's touch base this week and let's knock this fucking Bret Hart episode out of the ballpark too. Yeah, we can do it. Uh, I'm free tomorrow night or uh, Thursday night, stuff like that, whenever you want. Yeah, let's do it, man. All right, I'll talk to you soon. All right, brother. Thanks. Bye. All right, everyone. That was Eric Scott Tyler. His thoughts on the John Carpenter live experience. Uh, the anthology tour. It's wrapped. The last night was Syracuse uh, a week and a day ago. Uh, it took a while to connect with Eric and kind of uh, hunker down to, uh, to have a little discussion so he could discuss what he thought of it and everything. But, uh, yeah, John Carpenter, true legend. And, you know, right now we have the Wes Craven episode that I did with John up right now. Um, again, that was... Uh, that was really great, and now we've uh, we've more or less uh, discussed the big uh, the big four, you know George Romero, Toby Hooper, Wes Craven, and now this is the John Carpenter episode, and truly four of the most uh, important filmmakers in in uh, horror for sure, and definitely in all of film, if you want my real opinion, but. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at HeartGodMedia. Uh, give us a like. Give us a follow. DM me. PM me. Um, at me. Uh, but honestly, uh, just spread the word. You know, anybody that likes John Carpenter or Wes Craven or horror or music. And now, you know, we're going to do an episode where we talk uh, We talk Bret Hart, you know, wrestling. We're going to get into a bunch of different weird stuff and keep it weird because that's what the Heart God Media podcast is all about. But yeah, uh, thank you to everyone. Uh, please uh, rate, review us uh, on iTunes. We are on iTunes and SoundCloud. You can listen to us. So uh, yeah, let's uh, let's keep having fun. Uh, thanks again.